And then here I am in New York, working in New York, and I start my podcast, The One Way Ticket Show. Got to give it a shout out. I had several guests on my show, not least of which one of my all-time favorite human beings, Victoria Moran. In the course of the conversation, I must have said something like, you know, I'm not eating a lot of meat. And I think I'm looking at what I'm eating, and I'm mostly vegan. And then I told her what I had for breakfast. And then she said, well, maybe you just need to rethink your breakfast. As a vegan, do you ever feel like you're living in a parallel universe, aware of things that many others don't even seem to notice, let alone acknowledge? I'm Chrissy Benson, host of the Vegan Posse podcast. We talk with vegans from around the globe who, like you, are living lives of integrity and compassion with an eye toward justice through their personal stories. You'll come to see that you're not an outlier. In fact, you're part of an entire posse of individuals who aren't just keeping the peace, they're creating it through their food choices and beyond. You won't be saddling up, but you're in for the ride of your life. Welcome to the Vegan Posse. Hey Posse, it's time to fall in love with you. Check out my novel, Marrying Myself, and find out why it's been called the anti-romance romance that's helping normalize veganism through the world of women's fiction. You can find out more at christinemelaniebenson.com. Thanks guys. Now on to our episode. Today, the Vegan Posse welcomes Stephen Shalowitz, who has been everywhere and done everything. Okay, maybe not, but close. Born and raised in Chicago, Stephen later moved to New York City. There, he launched the One Way Ticket Show podcast, to which he now devotes himself full-time as both host and producer. Now in its 11th season, the One Way Ticket Show features acclaimed guests who talk about where they would go if given a one-way ticket no coming back. Destinations may be in the past, present, future, real, imaginary, or state of mind. Stephen also produces and hosts the Israel Cast podcast for Jewish National Fund USA. And he's the producer of the What's Burning podcast from the Galilee Culinary Institute, which features interviews with top chefs, restaurateurs, and major players in the food world. When he's not podcasting, Stephen enjoys traveling and has been to over 70 countries. A vegan for over three and a half years, he's an active volunteer, avid reader and gym rat, museum and theater goer, and since August 2021, has been working to help resettle Afghan refugees. Stephen, welcome to the Vegan Posse. Are you ready for the ride of your life? I'm always ready for the ride of my life. Chrissy, thanks so much for having me. <laughs> I know you're ready. You're a world traveler. So if there's anyone who's prepared to answer that question authentically, I would say it might be you. <laughs> um, well, thanks very much for that. So on this podcast, I interview vegans from around the globe, but it's not often I talk to someone who's single-handedly been all around the globe as you have. So I want to I want to hear all about your adventures, but first, why don't we take it back to the early days? Um, can you tell us about where you grew up and did you think much about food other than what other than to eat what was on your plate? Um, so to go and take a step back, a big step back, I was born and raised in Chicago, third generation Chicagoan, which I'm very proud of, and um, I grew up in the suburbs there. And I will say, I did think a lot about food, if for no other reason than my late mother was a remarkable cook and baker. And people knew her for many things, but they knew uh, her for what she was able to create in the kitchen. So food was always very central to my life and central very much to um, us as a family and gatherings and holidays and getting together around really, really delicious food. So so uh, in that respect, yes, food was always very central. I will say I was a rather chubby child, uh, maybe because I liked food too much and wasn't running around too much. Um, but all of that changed as, you know, life proceeded. So so there was that. Yeah. And I think when it comes to food, my understanding and my sort of uh, awareness of what I was eating and what I was putting on the plate and what I was putting then into me really started um, coming to a head when I was living in China towards the end of my time living in China. So we're talking about in the mid nineties, I was living in China for, I was first in China, actually this year, I'm, I'm totally aging myself here, but my very first 
time in China as a student was 40 years ago this summer. Okay, wow. so 4.0. So we could have a whole separate conversation wow. about what, what China was like in the early 1980s, yeah. where there were no cars, there were, I mean, it was just a totally huh. different universe there. And then I was back in the mid 80s, um, for a year back and forth for work. And then I moved there from 90 to 97. And then I, I was in Singapore for 89 to 90, 90 to 97 in China, and then back to Singapore, 97 to 05. Um, and it had to do with my work, my educational background and so on. We could talk about that if you want, but in any event, but, um, towards the end of my time in China for a variety of reasons, I was really questioning eating meat, whole other topic. Again, we can get into why. And then I decided that I was going to give up meat, but I would become, you know, everyone, there's labels for everything now. And so I'm not really <laughs> right. into labels. People say pescatarian or this satarian or that atarian or whatever. I, I mean, I think people can do, should do whatever they do and whatever they're comfortable with. But having said that, so I did get, give up eating meat, let's say, although I know that fish is meat, but I was eating fish and I was eating dairy and eggs. And I did that for a while and I felt fine. And then, um, and then I started going back to eating meat for, and it was very interesting because um, I interviewed, I used to have a radio show in Singapore in addition to working in advertising. And I interviewed Anthony Bourdain when he came through Singapore. Really? And, yes. Yes. I interviewed him. And this was a long, long time ago. Um, <laughs> and he said, and I asked him about being vegetarian, not eating meat and so on. And he said, look, he said, I think that if you do it for religious reasons or, you know, you do it for health reasons, he said, I understand that. He said, but if you don't eat meat, he said, you're missing out on a whole cultural component of humanity. And it was something that at that time resonated with me. And I thought, okay, I'll eat some meat and I am Jewish. And so I only ate kosher meat. And that actually was what precipitated me originally to stop eating meat because I felt that if I went to a restaurant and I ordered something um, and they put a piece of pork on it, for example, I'm not going to eat that. So that's really one of the reasons why I cut out meat to begin with and just did the fish route. And I didn't do shellfish because we're not allowed to eat shellfish according mm. to Jewish dietary laws. Anyway, so I was eating the kosher meat. And then after a while, and then years went by, and then after a while, I was just finding myself eating less and less meat. And then Fast forward to my, I know this is a very long-winded story, Chrissy, and I'm sure <laughs> no, everyone it's has, great. It's fascinating. I'm sure everyone has a lot, and I'm, I'm sort of like fast forwarding to a lot of stuff, Yeah. but then I found myself you know, gradually eating less and less meat, and then here I am in New York, working in New York, and I start my podcast, The One-Way Ticket Show, got to give it a shout out, and I'm having guests on my show, and I've had, I had several guests on my show, not least of which one of my all-time favorite human beings, Victoria Moran, who very kindly introduced us. And I, in the course of the conversation, I must've said something like, you know, I'm not eating a lot of meat. And I think I'm looking at what I'm eating and I'm mostly vegan. And then I told her what I had for breakfast. And then she said, well, maybe you just need to rethink your breakfast. <laughs> and the light bulb went on as it always does every single time I speak to Victoria Moran, I'm always getting some inspiration and it's usually massive inspiration. And I thought, yeah, instead of having the hard boiled eggs as part of my breakfast, because I have an enormous breakfast, I said, why don't I have something else? So I started replacing them with lentils. And then I started replacing the cow's milk with almond milk. And, and then with Ripple, you know, Ripple, the pea protein drink. I haven't, I don't, don't know that, no. Oh my gosh, this is a game changer. So I actually <laughs> really? had, yeah, I actually had the founder of Ripple um, Adam Lowry on my program, he actually founded huh. Meth Method, which is the uh, cleaning solutions company that make all the cleaning products that are all huh. natural. And then he started Ripple, R-I-P-P-L-E. It's a pea protein drink. It comes in all different kinds of forms and you can get it. it I, I'm here in New York City and I get it at Fairway just near me. You can get it at Whole Foods, wherever you want. And it has more calcium and more protein than cow's milk. It's really good. I really like it. And I suggest you and all your listeners like, <laughs> give it a try. Anyway, so, so you know, so I started replacing it. And so it was Victoria. And speaking to her, it was Dr. Andrew Kaplan, who is a very well-known veterinarian here in New York City. In fact, his, his vet, is um, his uh, clinic is just down the street from where I live had him on the show and he also encouraged me and gave me advice and pointers. And so is he then a vegan? I started, 
And he's a vegan, yeah. He's a vegan. Okay. I'd be happy to introduce you, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that would be great, yeah. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew's just absolutely the best, and he does amazing things for the animal community. So it was all those reasons. So that's how I kind of evolved with all of this. And I think the original and I think the original question was something about travel, but then there I went and I just sort of <laughs> totally you derailed. You were traveling. I totally derailed. I yeah. totally derailed that part of the conversation. No, that's perfect. I mean, it's never it's never a straight, efficient journey. So. No, it isn't. And you know what I tell people is that who knows where this will all end up for all of us. You know what I mean? Because right. we all have periods of our life where things happen or, um, you know, we have to just be practical or whatever it is. Yeah. And, you know, and then you do the best. And you really, I think the, the most important message for anyone that's listening really is that you do the best you can. Yeah. Yeah. It's all we can do. It's exactly. all we can do. And our best gets better. <laughs> it does. It really too. does. And it's easier uh, to, to do this now. Yeah. Right. Right. I remember when I first went vegan, it really felt so difficult and so overwhelming to the extent that I thought, well, I've given it a shot and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to pull this off. You know, I fought the good fight and gave it a go. <laughs> and, you know, well, I, 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 I did have one of those Chrissy. You did. Uh, I did have one of those along the way now that you mentioned. Really? It. Yeah. I yeah. think a lot of us have. So when, when was yours? When was your first? Oh, foray? my, my first four, I, it probably, I want to say it was probably 2008 or something like that. I oh, can't, a I can't, long I can't, time ago. Yeah, I can't quite remember. Maybe 2000, yeah. something like that. And then um, I really went, pardon the pun, whole hog in uh, 20, I will say 2018, I guess it was, because it was very okay. gradual with me. Right. You know? It just, it's gradual. I relate a lot. I had a long period of, well, I had years that I was a non-vegan vegetarian, but prior to that, I had years where I was similar to you, where I was probably maybe 90 to 95% vegetarian. You know, I would, right. I wouldn't really seek it out, but sometimes I would order it at a restaurant or if it was served to me. And it's so funny thinking back because I'm kind of like, what was I thinking? <laughs> right, I right. Go well, all it, the way. Right. And sometimes what ends up happening or what happened to me actually was I was finding I was eating meat maybe once a week mm -hmm. and then at everything else. And this was before I, you know, went vegetarian or went vegan. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I, like I said, I found that I was just eating it maybe once a week. So I thought, okay, then how do you do that swap? You know, going back yeah. to Victoria's um, uh, inspiration, if you will, maybe you just need to rethink and then fill in the blank. Right. And I and think I that's th actually a good solution for a lot of people that want to take this route and that want to, you know, just take the baby steps, if you will. And you know what? Yes. And, and God bless everybody that wants to do it. And if you don't do it 100%, again, I'm very libertarian about these things. I think do the best you can do what you can. Yeah, right. I've heard it said, just because you can't do everything, don't do nothing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But and you have to give yourself grace. Yeah. Yes. Yes, you do. And we are just so conditioned to think of certain foods and certain meals. Like you mentioned eating lentils for breakfast. And I remember a period of time where, where I was at a real financial bottom um, and I was broke and I was eating lentils for breakfast because I was so poor <laughs> and it didn't occur to me. Well, lentils are great to eat for breakfast all the time. <laughs> like there's nothing. Listen, I love them. And I love spice, them too. you can yeah. spice them up. I eat them cold. I mean, in fact, this morning I made a big pot. And so I had them warm this morning, but then I stuck them in the fridge and I have them cold and they're, they're great. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have an instant pot? No, I don't. I just have no. a regular old I'm, school. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, um, you know, there's high tech, low tech, and then there's Steven. <laughs> so, so that tells you something about my cooking skills. But you're high tech with the podcasting and the audio and that whole world of media, right? Well, I, it's sort of something that I've had to learn just because mm -hmm. I've been doing my podcast now for 11 years. And so when I first started doing the one way ticket show, I, I had to tell people what a podcast was and explain <laughs> what the whole thing was. And then now, of course, you don't have to, everyone's got a podcast. Um, so, <laughs> right. Myself so, I mean, included. Yeah. So, but <laughs> And they're all of value, really. And I think it's a beautiful medium because um, it's a very democratic medium. And there are subjects about absolutely everything under the sun that one can be interested in or one can learn about. So I think that's really the beauty of, of it all. 
Yeah. Well, I have so many questions, but first of all, is getting back to Anthony Bourdain. Yes. How, how did you, what were you talking to him about on your show? Am I correct in recalling that that was a Latin American show, even though you were in Singapore? Yeah, that was a, a Latin music and lifestyle Latin show. It's called, okay. yeah, it was Latin music and lifestyle. And it was in Singapore. It's called Encuentro Latino. And it what's, was the most. I don't understand. What's the, what's the connection? Okay. So, um, the connection is, I, again, I've got to take like three steps back. So um, <laughs> there was a there was a radio show. I, I did radio when I was in high school, and it was always something that I wanted to get back into. I got I get to Singapore. I was working in advertising for Young Arubicam, which is one of the big global advertising agencies. And I was listening to a jazz show at the weekend. And I said to one of my friends, geez, I'd love to host that show because, you know, I, I see that they have a couple different hosts. So I, I met the program director. I sent in a tape. And then you know, an audition, and then they rotated me on that. But the station had started also some other specialty kinds of programs. And one of the shows that they started was the Latin music and lifestyle show. Oh. Because at the time, uh, Latin music was really taking off globally because we're talking about, wait, that was 1998, I guess it was. So it was when Ricky Martin was really big, La Copa de la Vida. And, you know, there were some other celebrities that were, you know, Latin stars, et cetera, that were really um, taking notice uh, among the mainstream public, et cetera. So that's how the show started. So like I was playing Shakira before she was the English, um, you know, she did any songs in English. Okay. I mean, it was all of her Colombian original stuff and so on anyway. So that's, that's the show that I was doing. So I got to know like a lot of the event promoters and people in media, et cetera. And so when Anthony Bourdain came to town, it was for the Discovery Network because they mm -hmm. were launching, it was Discovery Travel, I think that was the program that they were launching. And this probably was in, let's see, I left in 05. It was probably like in 03 or something like that. And um, he came to town and I was told, yeah, you can go and you can interview him. And that's what happened. What was he like? Um, he was like what he was on TV. He was a little bit hard nosed, hard. He had a hard edge to him um, and he had a hard edge to him. I mean, and um, that's about all I can say. OK, <laughs> fair enough. How did you decide to talk with him about your consideration of going vegetarian and not eating meat? What made what prompted you to bring that up to him? Um, I think probably because I was asking him about, I, I asked him a whole range of questions on food. I mean, I was asking him about ceviche, for example, because, um, you know, the, the uh, Peruvian fish dish. Um, and I remember asking him about that and what he thought about if it was going to be like a global sensation or not, because again, that was also a dish that was taking off during that time. And then I had noticed that from all of his programming, he did eat a lot of meat and I had read his books and he was very graphic in describing his um, eating ways. So I, I sort of, that was the natural progression of questions <laughs> for me to ask him really. So know, he, wasn't, he wasn't endearing himself to you perhaps. So maybe that made you a little more eager to no, not there. at all. I was going to ask no, him anyway. Okay. I mean, it was just, it was, you know, I mean, I, I, I will say I pride myself on doing my homework as I know you do too. I mean, you're a lawyer by trade, so you know that you're, that you've got to have your questions and you have your ducks in a row before you start in with anybody. And, you know, for me, I think that if you don't do your homework, especially as a podcaster, it's really disrespectful to the guest it's disrespectful to the audience because they don't get the best out of the guest and it's disrespectful to me as a podcaster because i feel like if you know i want to be prepared because i want to have all the questions so even when i was doing radio i always made sure i did a ton of homework beforehand yeah and it's it's interesting it's fun oh my gosh become, the research is the yeah. the research is the funnest part of doing a podcast actually yeah yeah i feel like i fall in love with all my guests i'm, yes. I'm obsessed with them for a few days and <laughs> and it feels a little it feels yes. a little creepy but Does, then, doesn't it though because isn't it weird though because you know more about them than they know about you <laughs> right and they don't um, know everything that you know about them exactly exactly <laughs> So have you always just had, you know, a hankering for kind of an unconventional, adventurous life? Yes. 
Yes. I mean, part of it, part of it, I think, is is rather genetic because you know my parents loved to travel and they were traveling, going overseas well before anybody did. We're talking about like in the early '60s, um, and an aunt that I was very very close with, also a great aunt of mine, also um, lived most of her life overseas. And so for me, it's a little bit genetic. And I come from just apart from my late parents, but also my siblings love to travel. But for me, I was always interested really in. Um, non-Western cultures in countries. And I always dreamed of visiting all of these places throughout Asia, throughout Africa. I had the most phenomenal uh, high school social studies teacher my freshman year who, even though I went to a public high school and I've spoken about her before, I think on my program, but she was actually a nun, but she taught in my high school, mm. Sister Rosemary Tabak, I adored her. And she would travel the world and then she would come back and teach her students about the places that she visited in Africa, in India, you name it. And it was just a phenomenal um, learning experience from her. So she helped to spur on my curiosity also about the rest of the world. Having said that, though, I always had a particular fascination and interest with China. Since I was a kid, since the early 1970s, when Nixon first went to China, and then reporters were filing their reports about this country that was closed off for several decades at that point. And the place just fascinated me. And so I knew that when I got to university, I wanted to study China and Chinese. And that's what I ended up doing. Wow. And do you speak Mandarin? Yeah, I'm a Mandarin speaker. So my bachelor's degree was in Chinese language and literature. And wow. then, my yeah, then my master's was in international relations, focusing on China. So, I mean, even to pass my, my mat for my master's degree, I had to sit for, you know, uh, exams in Chinese. Um, wow. So, and then of course I lived in China. So my daily life, was in Chinese. Wow. Yeah. And what was China like back then? Oh, how much time do we have, Chrissy? <laughs> um, in, the, in the late, in the early 80s, it was, it was just vastly different. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you've been to China. Or I'm I sure never some, have. No, I've never been to China. I'm sure some of your listeners and some of your other guests have been to China. Um, you know, at that time, I'll say, I mean, just a, a, a couple of anecdotes, because really, I could have a whole conversation on that. But Chinese were not allowed into Western hotels. Mm. Um, Chinese were not allowed. There, there were a chain of stores called friendship stores where foreigners were allowed to go and purchase Chinese products. Chinese were not allowed in them. Um, of course, times have changed. Um, you know, I remember when I got to Nanjing in 1983, the big movie that was showing at the theater was Spellbound with, with Ingrid Bergman, okay? Um, I remember just bicycles everywhere mm. and people still dressed in mao suits or in it was it was the middle of the summer when i was there but uh in you know just white shirts and black pants or blue trousers or men and women everything was very uniform and it was just and in one of the the most enduring images that i have i studied in nanjing at nanjing university and nanjing is known as one of china's furnace cities because it's so hot wow. in the summer and at that time there we had air conditioning in the classroom, but we had no air conditioning anywhere else. And I remember, and certainly people in their homes didn't have air conditioning. And I remember we landed in Shanghai, it's a whole other story, then took the train from Shanghai to Nanjing. It was a four hour train ride. We got off at the train station and I'll never forget taking the bus to the university and it was nighttime and it was hot and it was stifling. And I remember people lining the streets with cots and women in nightgowns and men just in their pajama bottoms because they were going to sleep out on the streets because it was so hot in their apartments. Wow. That was an wow. enduring image. Yeah. That I have. So, and I imagine it's a, getting hotter because just, just in general, I, I don't, I don't know. Well, well, the, I mean, there's air conditioning that they have now. So right, 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 right. they were talking about 40 years ago. Now. There was no, there was no air conditioning that people wouldn't have an air. They'd have a fan. Right. But it just wasn't in their their apartments were tiny, tiny apartments. So it was just a vastly wow. different place. Wow. And what was the what was the food like? You weren't you weren't vegan or vegetarian at that no. point. No, it was, was OK. Yeah. It was OK. I mean, there wasn't a lot. I mean, again, because I don't eat pork and then mm -hmm. I kind of ate whatever I could eat. Um, mm -hmm. And it was kind of hit or miss throughout the country. Uh, we did travel then for two weeks by train throughout the country. And that was fabulous. Um but it was okay. It was interesting. 
you know, yeah. and I mean, yeah. one of my favorite, one of my favorite meals was at a place in Chinese is called Jiefang Jiao Zeguan, which means um, liberation dumpling house. It was in the city of Xi, <laughs> it was the city of Xi'an where the famous terracotta warriors were unearthed. And um, it, it, every kind of dumpling you can imagine. I mean, the dumplings that you get in China are like nowhere else, I will say. <laughs> I love dumplings. Even just the name dumpling makes me smile. Yeah, me, me too. But it's all um, about this. But it's all about the skin, you know. Really, because I, I I find it's about the skin. I mean, yes, the filling has to be good, but if the skin for me is too either doughy or chewy or gummy, then you've lost me. But if it's just <laughs> the right texture and just the right sort of thinness, then that's the telltale sign. In <laughs> okay. my book, at least, in my dumpling book, at least. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Um. So you were early on the podcasting train. How yes. did you get into podcasting? Well, it actually stemmed from my radio show because I was interviewing a lot of celebrities um, when I was in Singapore. And I literally was on the bus one day and the idea popped in my head. Where would all these famous people I've been interviewing go if I gave them a one-way ticket, no coming back? <laughs> and I thought to myself, um, I am going to move back to the U.S. one day. I will likely move to New York. And I'll do a whole show around it. And that's how it started. So after <laughs> wow. I settled in, yeah, so that's how it started. And then after I moved to New York, I was working also for Young and Rubikim Advertising. And I knew like three people by the time I got to New York or when I got to New York rather. And 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 I waited a couple of years because I needed to get my feet on the ground. And mm -hmm. and then I started the show and that's how it happened. And I started in, I started recording in 2011, at the end of 2011, then we launched it in 2012, March of 2012. Amazing. And how many podcasts were around at that point in time? Two. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, there were actually, there were podcasts around at that time because I knew about them. Uh, yeah. there, there were a fair amount. I, I don't know the exact number, but people weren't, it wasn't a common practice or as common a practice as it is today. Right. To listen right. in. And um, what do you think it is about the concepts for that show that so intrigued you? For the one-way ticket show? Mm -hmm. um, I think probably because uh, several things. Number one is just as a traveler. I mean, I've been to, I was just in Iraq, for example, in November. I've been to North Korea. I've been to Syria. I've been to Libya. I mean, I go to a lot of, the, I, I like to go to the place that most people don't go to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I'm fascinated by this whole notion of journeys and where people go and why they go and importantly what they see there and what they experience there and I think mm -hmm. experience is just so fascinating so that was one strain and then the other strain is just I think I'm a curious person and I think you can't be and I'm sure you wouldn't disagree you cannot be a podcast host if you're not curious Right. Yes, yes, and so, totally and I, agree. yeah. And I mean, yeah. I look at all my guests and again, all the research I do, the books I've read, the, you know, that they've written and, and on and on. And it's just this sense of curiosity and learning. So I think that's what, and also the fact that I think people are interested about where people want to go because it tells something about their personality mm -hmm. that they wouldn't get anywhere else in any other interview somewhere. So it's a question sure. that is really such an open-ended question. And then from there, I explore why, what they would do there, what they would take with them, whom they would take with them, what they would get out of the experience if the destination impacts them. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you have a, excuse me, I have to cough. Yeah, of course. <coughs> okay. I'm ready. Okay. For the moment. Yeah. Um, so do you, do you have a favorite place so far among all your travel destinations? That I've gone to. Yeah. I'm sure you have many, but I, what, I, what are I, some of the soft, you know, the sweet spots for you? Yeah. I, I don't have a favorite because everyone is so interesting. Yeah. Um, and everything, you know, is, is so unique in and of itself, but I've right. had just really unique experiences all throughout. I mean, I've loved traveling through North Africa and the Middle East because mm -hmm. I'm a huge um, fan of art, archaeology, ancient history. So for me to travel through the Levant is just fabulous. Uh, but then again, going, as I just mentioned, I went to North Korea. I mean, 
to see the last bastion of Stalinism uh-huh. is just, or a controlled economy is just, you know, absolutely fascinating. You have to read between the lines there, of course, and what they show you. But anywhere, I, I will say though, anywhere that I feel I don't speak the language, everything is just completely foreign and alien to me. I just love that sensation <laughs> and I love that feeling. I mean, India does that for me, which I, I've mm. been to four times now. I'm hoping to go within the next year or two again, which I absolutely adore. And the colors you see in India mm. are like absolutely nowhere else. Yeah. Yeah. That's another place I'd really like to go. I haven't done nearly the traveling that you have. So I have a lot of places to go. Listen, it's a big world out there. It's a big world. And that's interesting that the sensation that a lot of people probably try to avoid that feeling of, you know, being completely foreign and alien and in this totally unknown world, a lot of people kind of avoid that at all costs and you, you seek it out. Yeah, I just think there's something about it because, you know, you live in such a, a regular regimented world. Yeah. Throughout, But listen, it's not for everybody. That's for sure. And then when you come back, it's a real shock to the system when you come yeah. back from, yeah. from one of those experiences. I do find that traveling, you know, I did kind of the requisite post-college Eurorail pass. I lived in London for six months and then traveled around Europe for a month. And I do remember feeling very intrepid by the end of that stint, you know, just feeling like I could go anywhere and do anything, whether I knew the language or not. Um, And it is interesting. I I found it very interesting for self-discovery because like you said, we live in such a regimented routine structured world that to take yourself outside all of those, you know, external constructs and see who you are in a completely different universe is it just strips away. It just strips yeah. away everything. And you know, we've invoked China several times. I'll share this with you. When I left China in 1997, um, I took a travel break through Southeast Asia, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos, and then Thailand before starting my work in Singapore. And I left. I was, uh, Shanghai was the last city. I lived in Hong Kong for six months and Beijing, Guangzhou and Shanghai at a short time in Vietnam, launching Colgate toothpaste of all things. Uh, <laughs> but then, but then Shanghai was the last place that I lived in Vietnam, in, um, in, in China. And I remember driving to the airport or I took the taxi to the airport and I had like a suitcase and a backpack or something carry on. And I had no house keys. And I'll never forget that sensation of not having a place to go and not having house keys. And it was the most liberating feeling. And you just strip away everything and you just become yourself. Mm. And Mm. I think that when you travel to a place that is really out of your comfort zone, um, there's the potential for that sensation as well, shall we say. Mm. So who are you? Who did you find out that you are? Um, I guess I found out that I was fairly resourceful and (laughs) fairly, I would say so. Yes. I, you know, I was resourceful. I think I probably found out I had a decent sense of humor (laughs) that I'm just a really curious person and that I really like people. Yeah. Yeah. And how about the food aspect? I mean, most of these travels again, were pre-vegan. Right. So how has going vegan changed your, or, or perhaps inhibited your travel style? Well, I think it's a question of one does the best that one can, okay, under any circumstance, because, you know, you got to do the best you can. However, I will say, let's turn a negative into a positive, because, you know, I, Two stories, for example, that if we have time now, I'm happy to share that our travel stories. I mean, after I did become vegan, um, I went to Israel for um, so the other podcast that I produce and host is called Israel Cast for a wonderful organization that's been around since 1901 called uh, Jewish National Fund. And they were the ones that originally planted trees in Israel and worked the land in Israel. And they're just a phenomenal, phenomenal mm. organization. And they do preservation of heritage sites, protecting and uh, people with disabilities, um, uh, community development and so on and so forth. In any event, I went there to do a whole series of interviews and Israel is 
um, a vegan paradise. And they say that there are more vegans in Israel per capita than anywhere else in the world. And you've probably heard that before. I have, yeah. In every office that I went into to do interviews, would you like some coffee? Oh, sure, I'd love some. What would you like in your coffee? Well, um, do you have non dairy milk. Oh yeah. We're all vegan here. I mean, every <laughs> office, everything was vegan, you know, and you go to a restaurant, you go and but inherently the food there is so is plant-based. So, and so much of it is plant. Yes. There's, um, uh, uh, kebabs and, you know, you, you have that of course, but, but so much of the food is inherently plant-based and the produce there is like nowhere else in the world. I mean, you mm. get pomegranate juice out on the street and mm. you're just like, you want to bring a whole thermos, you know, <laughs> uh, to have it fill, filled up. I mean, it's just absolutely extraordinary. So that was really a wonderful, wonderful experience in terms of, of being vegan in really a vegan paradise. And there was one lovely hotel. It was a small boutique hotel um, up in up by um by near Masada. And the owners of the hotel had the most remarkable buffet breakfast, and half of it was all vegan. And there yeah. was a sign there that said vegan. And I was eating this stuff. I've I mean, just Th uh, things that I had never seen or eaten before and just the combinations of everything was just yeah. remarkable. So that was really a very special experience, but also um, the same organization, Jewish national fund every year, they have an annual conference. And in it was probably about six months after I realized that, yes, I am vegan now. Um, there was a, um, it's not like I remember the date or anything. Yeah. And <laughs> um, they have a wonderful annual conference. And this, in that particular year, it was 2018, was in um, D.C. And I went down for, and they have speakers and all the rest. It's just really very enlightening. And I went down for breakfast, and they had a buffet thing. You could just kind of grab something and then go in to hear a speaker. And there was lox, and there was bagels, and there was cream cheese, and there were hard-boiled eggs, and coffee, and tea, and juice, and whatever, and some fruit. And I looked at it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this looks great, but, you know, what am I going to eat? So I pulled over one of the waiters, and I was like, hey, excuse me, but, you know, um, you know, I'm vegan, so I'm, it's, you know, like, <laughs> is there anything you can kind of cobble together for me? He's like, wait a minute. He gets me the F&B manager, the food and beverage manager, and I explain the situation. He's like, listen, don't worry. Come with me. He brings me up to the cafe restaurant. And he says, um, he's like, look, give me your room number. He said, just sign it every day. It's on us. Just come here. Just have breakfast, you know, and, and, you know, you'll be fine. And this was the most magnificent spread you can imagine uh. every day. It was at the, I want to give them a shout out. I think it was at the Hyatt downtown uh. in there. And it was just remarkable. I mean, uh. and it was just fantastic. So there's always ways of of going about it. I mean, I have traveled though, since I was vegan. I mean, when I was in Saudi Arabia in 2019, no, excuse me, it was the same year in 2018. Wow. Um, the first stop that I made, I, I, I went with a group, except the, um, uh, I, I had two days myself beforehand. I was like, that's always a tip, pro tip I always give to people. Go a few days early if you can, and or stay a day or two later if you can, because you've had your sea legs in the country, you can explore mm -hmm. yourself. And then also, if you're traveling overseas, you like to have a day or two to really recover from jet lag, and then also to have mm -hmm. time yourself to explore rather than just being with a group. Anyway, mm -hmm. but I remember getting to Saudi Arabia in Jeddah. We, that's where I, I was meeting the group. And I was just exploring around where the hotel was. And there was this restaurant and it looked absolutely amazing. It was just a very local restaurant. And I went in, turns out it was a Yemeni restaurant. And I had the guidebook and it said, I am vegan. So I pointed to it because he didn't speak any English. <laughs> and he pointed to the photos there. I remember there were photos all around the restaurant of the different dishes. And I saw what other people were eating and they kind of spoke a little English. So it was a bit of this, this, and this and pointing and the bread because the Yemenite community is especially known for their long flatbread. Mm. I have to tell you, this was one of the most memorable meals I've ever had. And it was wow. at a local sort of, you know, restaurant. So there's always ways of getting around things. So there is a way to say vegan in Saudi Arabic. Arabia. In Arabic, in Arabic yeah. there is. I can't remember. Okay. I, I knew it, but I can't Did remember. Did you have now. to get a special guidebook <laughs> to find? No, it was just a regular, it was like a, I can't even remember what guidebook it was now, but um, yeah. it was one of yeah. the common guidebooks that one has.
Very interesting. So, I, I mean, I guess three and a half years, again, uh, along the long span of your travel adventures, that's that's just a small blip. But yeah. um, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, have there ever been times when kind of like Anthony Bourdain alluded to that you really just were tempted to say, oh, I'll just, you know, skip the vegan thing today in the interest of experiencing this special local dish or connecting with the people around me without outing myself as as a vegan? Well, the the issue for me also is that I don't eat non-kosher meat. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, you know, so say, for example, there's a pig roast. Well, I've got no interest in that. Yeah. Or even if they're serving sense. beef, I'm I'm going to ask, hey, is there right, XYZ right. in there? Okay. So there's so there's that component. So this whole thing makes it a whole lot easier. Right. Because, yeah, everything vegan is by default. It's going to be kosher. Yeah, yeah, exactly. OK, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm not going to eat that. Yeah. Right, right. So when you first went vegan, how was that transition and what different dietary approaches did you try as a vegan? Well, for me, I guess it was actually easy because I really wasn't eating a lot of meat to begin with. Anyway, yeah, like I said, it was close. like it was like yeah. about once a week ish kind of thing, mm -hmm. etc. And um, and then I was discovering all these other foods that I can eat. So then it was OK. So it was yeah. actually quite easy. I mean, I did, I guess before I was vegan, I, I never had, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure I had it at a restaurant, but it wasn't that I made it, you know, seitan in tempeh. Um, I always, <laughs> I was always a big tofu eater. I mean, for years yeah. I would make tofu. So that was never yeah. a thing. And then beans, I would yeah. always eat anyway. And lentils, I would always eat anyway. But I would say like seitan and tempeh. And also the other thing is like edamame, for example, like mm -hmm. I always liked it, but I never would buy it and then, you mm -hmm. know, create something with it. Right. Right. It's funny how your perspective changes. Like, oh, I can actually have this thing regularly. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. It and it was soon. exactly. And it was fine. Yeah. yeah. So did your health change at all? Did you, had you had any health issues prior to going vegan? No. And, and people ask like, how did you feel? And how did you, mm -hmm. you know, your health issues and stuff. And I really didn't, I didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. and yeah. then, um, I, so that, so that was perfectly fine. Right. Right. And what about the animal piece? Are you, do you consider oh, but can yourself I just interrupt? an animal person? If, yeah. if, if I can just interrupt, then we'll get to Please. the animal component. Yeah. yeah. Because the other thing is, is that I do like to work out. Mm -hmm. And then, and then the question is always inevitably about, oh, where are you getting your protein and how much of protein course, yes. and all the rest. So, but I've always yeah. been able to monitor that and I've felt perfectly mm -hmm. fine, even, mm -hmm. you know, being vegan. Now in terms of the whole animal component, yes, because that was actually a very big component for me in terms of, you know, going this route and, you know, I, I've, I've always loved animals and I've loved nature and, you know, I've, I've always been very much um, in tune with the environment. You know, I was one of those kids back in the seventies that would recycle newspapers because, Aww. okay, mm -hmm. because of the environment. And, uh, you know, as I said, I lived in China, spent a lot of time there. China's environmental degradation has been going back for decades and the air quality there is just horrid beyond belief. And it always has been. And I say this because I look at this as a very holistic approach, including the animals. It's all about the mm -hmm. world that we are living in and what are mm -hmm. we doing to this world. And so when we talk about what we're doing to the animals, I mean, look, back in ancient days when people had chickens running around and they were just laying eggs and they were eating them and so on and so forth, or, you know, cows were roaming the prairies or wherever they roam, <laughs> uh, the fields, excuse me. And, <laughs> you know, that was a very different thing. But the whole factory farming business of animals is I think so barbaric and also it's it's barbaric for the animals I think it's barbaric for those that are engaged with it and you know the injection of hormones into these animals I just think to myself how first of all it's cruel and the second thing is am I going to be ingesting that right I mean and so right. I don't want to put that in my body right right yeah I'm sure you know the statistic but they say that 80% of the antibiotics that are produced are given to livestock. Yeah. So even if you think you're not taking antibiotics, if you're eating animal products, you're, you're getting them. You're getting them. Absolutely. So from that whole component, I just, it, it just, it just, it's, I find it very, very unsettling. Mm -hmm. I really yeah. do. 
you know. Yeah, that's I a mean, good word for it. It's just unsettling. And I mean, and I think that what's very distressing is that when we think about those people in power, you know, and people that are real decision makers um, and the privileged class, if you will, you know, these people that are flying off to Davos, for example, and the Aspen Institute and so on. And I think to myself, they're very much into, you know, uh, do as I say, not as I do. And I say this because, you know, they're flying on private jets to all these places, right? Which is hurting the environment. And they're all about, you know, let's try and save the environment. Now here in New York State, we're told, oh, if there's a new building that goes up, you can't have um, an electric stove. It has to be a gas stove. I right, know about right. This. And I think that's absurd. I mean, come on, that's absolutely ridiculous. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you're going to give me a, but yet you are going to be a big meat eater and you're still going to, you know, support that industry. And look, if you want to have meat once a week or whatever, or reduce or whatever, you know, you want to take your baby steps, fine, but come on. I mean, don't be flying all over the world and don't be eating all of this meat and ruining the environment through all of this factory farming of animals. And then telling me that I can't have a gas stove. Right. I mean, that's absolutely right. absurd because it's all right. interconnected. Do you see what I mean? It's not a, oh, yeah. a rant here, but it's all interconnected. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a revelation to me when I first went vegan, because I initially had the animal piece in mind and I thought, uh -huh. well, you know, sure. If it were a case of starving to death or eating an animal, you know, I'd probably eat the animal, but in this day right. and age, how can I justify that choice? And I always had what I considered a separate interest in health and come to find that, oh, not only can right. you survive without animal products, but plant-based is actually the optimal diet for humans. Absolutely. And then when I discovered the environmental component and the resource availability component, um, just everything came together. And for me, for me, it was very powerful. I've described it as sort of a spiritual awakening, you know, just love as a principle of physics, you know, the most loving thing for, for my body also is the most loving thing for the animals and the planet and for starving children in Africa. Um, so yeah, everything is interconnected. And I think that's, of course, the illusion that we live with, especially in our fragmented Western society is that we're not connected, you know, we're these lone agents, you know, operating independently and we lose track of how connected we are, but I'm sure it sounds like you've maintained a much stronger sense of that through your travels. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. It, it, absolutely. And, uh, but I, I will go back and just carry on on something that you said, because, um, you know, if, if someone decides to go vegan, God bless them. If someone wants to be vegetarian, if someone says, you know what, I'm going to eat meat once a week because I need, I feel like I need the X, Y, Z coming from it. You know, that's fine, but at least be open to the idea and at least not be hypocritical. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I would and I, I, and I have yeah. to discuss because I would never tell anybody what they should or shouldn't do. Okay. I think let people have the facts and, you know, if they, you know, life is long, hopefully for many people and right. life is, life is a journey and let them then take their baby steps. And I think, you know, one of the things that Eric Adams, our mayor here is doing in New York city. Um, in fact, I did interview him on my show, but when he was Brooklyn borough president, he's, wow. he's, a he's a lot, he's a lovely, lovely man. And I was think he nice to talk to you. It's hard to get a sense of him as a person. Oh my gosh. I adore that man. I mean, he is, re he is really, really very nice. I, I met him at the borough hall, as I said, when he was Brooklyn borough president and he came in and we had the loveliest conversation. Mm -hmm. And then as I was packing up to go, I was with my editor there who was recording us and he was in the next room. There's like a little kitchenette thing and he was making his salad and all the rest. And for listeners that might not know, he is vegan. Were and you he, vegan at that point? Um, let's see. 17. I, I get, yes, I was. Yes. You were. Okay. Yes, yes yeah. I was. Yeah. Uh, I'm, pretty sure guy I think I interviewed him at the end of 2018 so yes yes I was um and he I think his heart is definitely in the right place and what he's tried to do is to have vegan um uh more vegan programming associated with New York City institutions like the uh uh 
prison system, you know, in prisons mm. to have more plant-based meals, certainly in the schools, certainly mm. in hospitals. And there's been a big push. There's a whole public service campaign, et cetera, that I've seen on TV. And I think good for him because mm -hmm. again, if somebody is going to go again, you know, full on great. If they don't go full on, but they say, you know what, I think there's value in this and I'm going to do it half the time or whatever. God bless them for doing that. You know, at least people are trying to make some kind of difference or looking at things in a different way. And I think right. that's one of the things that I've enjoyed on this journey is that, um, you know, if you're sitting at a dinner, for example, I mean, how many of us are invited to, um, you know, a big dinner or whatever it is. And, you know, you tell the server there oh by the way i ordered the vegan meal and then it always precipitates a conversation and then you know if people learn something or they're exposed to it they might not go that route but it might plant a little seed to say hey you know maybe i can do this or maybe i can swap even if they just swap their their cow's milk for my beloved ripple or for almond milk or right. change out right. the eggs for lentils but they do everything else hey it's a baby step and you know what it's all part of making this world a better place. Agreed. Agreed. And I always make it a point to try to be very kind and very friendly to those people. So even if they don't make a change in their diets, at least they'll have an impression of vegans as very nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, that's the thing. Well, listen, there are very nice vegans and they're very not nice vegans, just like there's very nice, you name it, and very nice. Not and I've vegans. been both, you know, I've definitely okay. We been, all are. We're both. human beings, yeah. you know. Yeah, we're multifaceted. Yeah. Um, actually, I haven't met, actually, the vegans that I know are actually very nice, so. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah, I mean, we're all human. We all we're all human. Our, there's, listen, everyone comes with every strike. There's, we all have because, darkness. And I yeah. think the, I think one of the issues, and this has nothing to do with being vegan, but I think <laughs> one of the issues facing society today is we like to just pigeonhole people, you yes. know, and, and I'm not yes. about labels. I mean, right. you, do what, you do what you want. I think we're all very complex individuals yeah. and we all cut across a number of different um, areas of our lives and uh, different facets make up each one of us. And exactly. So, yeah. And I mean, I've met people who are not vegan, but I can tell in a lot of aspects of their life, they're, you know, they're much more generous. Oh, are you kidding? People than, than I am. You know? Well, I mean, listen, I do my best. But... I want to tell you, there's some, there's some non-vegans that I know that are doing God's work when it comes to compassion for animals, like for stray dogs and cats mm, or, right, or the elderly right. cat community. I mean, right. Which is a big, big paradox. You know, it's, it's why do they have this blind spot when it comes to farmed well, animals? I yeah. know. Then again, who am I to judge? Right. Right. And obviously, you know, similar to you, I came to veganism. I was in my early forties when I went vegan. So, I mean, who, how can I judge maybe a Leonardo da Vinci who went vegan at the age of five or seven or however old he was, you know, maybe he has a little more moral standing. Um, but you know, we all come to it as, as we are. And exactly the bottom line too, I mean, Will Tuttle, the author, he always describes it as, you know, we can't bring that herding mentality, H-E-R-D, you know, we can't bring the herding mentality to carrying the vegan message because just as we're against, you know, trying to exploit a bunch of animals, non-human animals to do what we want them to do, we can't, you know, try to herd a bunch of non, you know, of human animals into going vegan just because we've decided it's, it's right. Exactly. Even though it does happen to be right, but... Um, well, I just love to hear a little more about your podcasting, just because, of course, this is a world that's pretty new and fascinating to me. So how long did it take for your, I mean, your podcast has been going for 11 years now, the One Way Ticket Show, right. and how has it evolved and what does it look like on a daily basis? Well, I upload every other Tuesday, um, although I've had to take a little hiatus. Uh, for the last two months, uh, but I will be coming back. And my next guest is going to be Gretchen Carlson, who I'm very excited to have on, um, who has been making waves in her own right for several years now. Um, and yeah, it's how how has the show evolved? Um, it's evolved from the standpoint that I don't know how to answer that question because <laughs> I think the only probably thing that I can say is that I used to ask my, where would they go if given one way ticket, no coming back question at the end of the show. But then I put <laughs> it at the beginning of the show, 
but essentially it's pretty much it's pretty much the same show i mean it's the same concept yeah last, we explore their one-way ticket journey and with the destination etc cetera, etc cetera. and again it can be past present future real mm -hmm. imaginary state of mind but then what we also do is that we talk about their life their work and anything else that is um you know any projects they're working on and so forth mm -hmm. and i think my guess um i'm a little bit um more discerning in my guess. I don't know if I should say that, but I think I know which kind of guests I want to bring on. I guess that's more the question than anything else. Interesting. Um, yeah. So, but apart from that, it's really just pretty much been the same thing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a concept that's so rich. I mean, there's so much yeah. there to explore. So how, yeah. Cause every guest is different. Yeah. And so what sorts of guests do you seek out? you know, have you come to really value? Well, I mean, my, my criteria from the very beginning, even to today is interesting people doing interesting things with something mm -hmm. interesting to say, but I really look for more of an accomplishment level of the individual and something mm -hmm. I can really like hang my hat on. And also if there's a little bit more of an intellectual component, like, I mean, I get footnotes to that in a second, but I get, you know, cause I get pitched a lot of people, but I think to myself, you know, if I've already spoken about that subject that they're a particular mm. area specialist in, or um, if they're not particularly well known in their field, mm -hmm. then, you know, I'm only doing two shows a month. Yeah. And I have to do so yeah. much show for so much homework for every episode, right? That it really has to be worth my while, right? You know, to be able to do it. That makes sense. Yeah, I think for me, the difficult part of that question would be the one way aspect. You know, there are lots of places I would like to try and explore, but. But again, it doesn't have I... to be a real place. It can be a, right, you, can, right. you can do a one-way ticket to a world where there's no animal cruelty. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. I wouldn't, I'd have to come up with a new podcast idea. What do you mean a new podcast idea? Well, vegan posse, everyone would be in the posse, right? Oh, okay. Well, listen, yeah. if ever, if everyone would be in the posse, I see, then that's what you want, you know? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I, I'm not, I wouldn't be complaining for sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. There you go. But it's been a um, wonderful, remarkable experience. I've met the most extraordinary people um, and I've learned an absolute ton. I love that so far, just this early on in my podcast journey, it's opened up my world so much. Me um, too. And I've learned so much. And, and that you mentioned being a curious person and yeah. I am as well. I mean, I think we all have that in us, but that's what I've really valued. You'd be surprised, about. Chrissy. Plenty <laughs> of people that are not curious at all. I get, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Yeah. Maybe but you're right. I, but this yeah. is the thing. I just find that it's just been a remarkable journey. Yeah. I agree. And just with, with veganism, just the longer I'm vegan, I feel like the more there is to learn and explore. And I was initially, it felt constrictive and then paradoxically a whole new world of food opened up. Um, so it's, yeah, that's what I love is there's so much to learn and discover right. in the vegan, on the vegan journey. Yes. All right. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. I have just a couple more questions oh, yes. to ask you. Yeah. So amidst all your travels and all your humanitarian work, which we haven't even touched on, we'll have, we'll have to save that for, for another time, oh, I suppose. Um, but how has being vegan, you know, affected how you see your place in the world? Um, well, I think it makes me realize that I am of the world mm. in the sense that, um, what I'm doing, it's not only for my own well-being, but it's for the well-being of animals and the well-being of the planet. And which are reasons why many become vegan and adopt a plant-based, uh, approach to the way that they eat. So I think it's really a question of, of, again, just being a part of the world and being greater, having a greater connection to the world. Right. And also right. being more um, in a greater connection, I think, to um, a sense of spirituality too. Um, yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense to me. I think that happens to a lot of us. I, I remember being at a vegan meetup in New York City which is where I, I used to live. I'm a native New Yorker. I'm not sure if I mentioned that, but there was a man I met there who was a Christian fundamentalist, you know, devout 
devout Christian, uh, but he'd gone vegan for health reasons because his whole family had diabetes and he'd been diagnosed with diabetes. And so he went vegan for health reasons and cured his diabetes. But he said the most interesting side effect of going vegan was that he felt he'd never felt so close to Jesus. Mm. <laughs> and um, I, I was raised Catholic, but I'm a heathen at this point. But I just was was touched by that. And it also makes sense because whatever your initial motivation, when you're living in a way that's just ethical and just and kind, how can you not feel closer to whatever is, you know, real and wonderful in the world? Right. I agree. Okay. So the final question that I like to pose to all of my guests is, is there a particular word for you, Stephen, that sums up what being vegan is all about? I think the word is something that we touched on already, and that's curiosity. Mm. Because it's just made me more curious about what I'm eating um, I, I, on a number of levels. Number one, what I'm eating, what I could potentially eat, um, you know, how I can potentially nourish myself, my body, my mind. And also curious about, and I, I'm saying this as someone that worked in advertising, hmm. what messages we're being told and what are we being thrown and how much is true and how much is just marketing hype and how much is not true. And so I want to be able to delve into that and to ask those questions. Yes. Yes. Because, yes. because you know, if you don't stop, if you just listen to everything that you're told about food and nutrition from what you see on TV or you read in an ad or you see online or, you know, on Instagram or TikTok, which I'm not on TikTok, by the way. Um, <laughs> okay. For a variety of reasons, um, not least of which, because I do think that, um, I don't know if I should get into this, but we don't want to get into politics. But game. No, anyway, but no, but I do think that the Chinese are stealing our, our uh, information on TikTok. And this is someone that was educated as a China specialist, lived there for many years. And I think TikTok is actually very, very dangerous, not only from a security standpoint for our own security, but for, for our own personal security, but I think also from national secure, from a national security standpoint as well. So I would encourage everybody to get off TikTok and get your kids off TikTok as well, wean them off because it's also not doing them any mental good either. So just a little editorial there. But I think the point is, is that wherever we're getting these messages, um, we have to question them because you have to realize whose interests are these messages forwarded from. In other words, they're forwarded from, from these big corporations and they have to make money. Yes, God bless capitalism. I love capitalism as, the, as much as the next guy. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we have to um, keep these people accountable. And so, you know, the food that we're eating, again, I mean, it's going to affect our health, our well-being and everything else. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And this could almost launch us into a whole addendum episode. But I think really the point you touched on about curiosity is is key because it's curiosity that brings us all to veganism, veganism in the first place. Yeah, exactly. start asking some questions like, why am I eating this? Is it doing me good? Is it exactly? Is it serving me? Or if not, who is it serving? And then learning to ask those questions around food just also gave me a model for asking questions in lots of other areas of my life. Right. Um, that's just made the whole life journey so much more fascinating and enriching and fulfilling. So right. Right, yeah, right, curiosity. Right. Love it. Love it. Right. All right. Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Stephen. No, that was it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, um, anything else you'd like to mention before we wrap up? Where should we look for you online and what, what projects would you like to point us toward? Oh, that's very kind of you. Yeah, I would just say, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. And if anyone wants to get in touch with me, they can certainly follow me or find me on social media at Stephen Shalowitz, S-T-E-V-E-N-S-H-A-L-O-W-I-T-Z, at Stephen Shalowitz. I uh, would love people to check out my The One Way Ticket show. They can go to the, 
one way ticket show. You got to put the, the there, the one way ticket show.com, or they can search for the one way ticket show wherever they get their podcast. Again, I was on hiatus for about two months and I'll be coming back again in June. And um, yeah, and that's pretty much about it. Would love to hear from your whole posse. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Well, you're part of it now. Thank uh, you very officially. much. Very happy to so, be. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And we close yeah. every episode by taking 30 seconds of silence for all of the suffering animals, human and non-human who desire, as we all do, safety, happiness, and the freedom to live out their lives without interference. So Steve and I invite you to join me in 30 seconds of silence for the animals, and we'll conclude with the sound of the bell. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you, Posse. See you next time. Until then, stay strong and stay true.